Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, guys and gals. It is Friday, July 3rd, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. Hope you all had a great week as we slide into the 4th of July weekend. Maybe it's a three-day weekend for some of you that had today off. In the control room today, we have Royal and Zoe, my two faithful interns, pressing all the buttons and making sure we sound good and look good today. So thank you for them for all their work behind the scenes. Guys, if you missed last night's show, we had a great night. We started off with our Thursday food minute with Ramise Ellis. She did a couple of great recipes for us last night, stuffed peppers and shrimp and fettuccine Alfredo. You guys want to write those recipes down. Then I had two great live interviews last night with uh, speakers Greg Baird and Nat Ballas. Greg Baird speaks at colleges and campuses all over the country on LGBTQ issues. And Nat Ballas speaks about drug and substance abuse and how to have a natural high in exchange for a physical or chemical high. And so we had great conversations with both of them last night. Tonight, just a little bit, I have uh, Jason Caceres back for our Friday Fitness Minute as our special correspondent this evening. And then I have a brand new live interview with two of my favorite Broadway guys, Chris and Clay Rice Thompson. They'll be on the show around 6.15, then around 7 o'clock tonight. Going to do a pre-taped interview that I just did last week with Daryl Thorne. He's an amazing visual and performance artist out of New York City. He does these amazing headpieces and masks that have been worn by people from Madonna to, oh gosh, I can't remember all of them, but Madonna's good enough, right? So really cool stuff. We're going to talk to him about his new exhibit he has going on in New York City right now. His TikTok that has just blown up in, he has four videos on it, has over 70,000 views on his TikTok because they're just so amazing. So we're going to talk, uh, play that interview at the end. A couple of things on the radar. If you have not been listening to the last couple of days shows, and why haven't you done it? Uh, we had to cancel the big gay road trip to Palm Springs, California. A little bummed about it, but as you are hearing in the news, Things are getting locked down tight in California again because of COVID going a little crazy. People are not doing their social distancing and masking. So Riverside County, which is where uh, Palm Springs is in, was that on Wednesday, 99% occupancy of hospital beds, 
and they had just closed down all the restaurants for eating in and all the bars, period. So I didn't want to put any of my guests driving in from L.A. at risk. Honestly, I can't get sick and bring it back to my mom. You guys all know I take care of my 81-year-old mom with diabetes, so I don't want to bring anything back to her. So it was just a better idea at this time to postpone or cancel the trip. Um, As you may or may not know, Indulge Resort that hosts us every year, uh, their slow times are June, July, and August. So that's why they usually put me out there for a month when we have our listeners or our guests come in and we talk. They're usually busy the rest of the year. With COVID, I don't know what's going to happen. If it doesn't uh, pick up quite as much, I might go there in a couple of months. December, January, we'll see what happens. If not, we'll have to postpone the road trip till next summer again. So sad but prudent, unfortunately. Tonight is Hamilton. If you guys are Broadway fans, uh, Disney Plus is streaming Hamilton. And what a deal that is. I think it's like twelve ninety five for Disney, Hulu, and ESPN all combined together. So you can get a Broadway full show with Lin-Manuel Miranda for $12.95 for a month's worth of shows as opposed to the $250 ticket on Broadway. <laughs> I think the cheapest was like $75. But just to put you in the Hamilton mood, my first guest today, Chris Rice, was in the Broadway touring company of Hamilton. So we're going to talk to him all about that tonight. I'm looking forward to watching it this weekend. It is 4th of July, a little weird out there. I understand for everybody, that is for sure. Um, Our fire were canceled by all the main people that put it on. And Northeast Ohio is big on fireworks. Phantom Fireworks, which is sold all over the country, is headquartered right here in Youngstown. There's a PA company that sells a lot of fireworks. So we are a firework. And it's one of those weird things where they're technically illegal in Ohio, but you can buy them. You can sell them. You can't put them off in Ohio. Don't get me started on where that law came from. But usually it's a pretty big deal to have fireworks here. We'll see what happens. People are still selling them and buying them. They're just not going to be the big shows like usually happens in town and at the college stadiums and things. So it's going to be a little different. I might try to sneak out to Lake Erie tomorrow, get up to Cleveland, see if I can find any fireworks up there. We'll see if anything's happening that way. But We have to social distance as well here in beautiful Northeast Ohio in the state of Ohio because we're on the rise a bit. In fact, I think 30 to 40 states are on the rise right now. So not as much as California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida, but I think we are on the rise a little as well. So let's jump into it tonight, guys. We are going to play here Our Friday fitness segment, you know, we trade off with our special correspondence each week between Jake Dean Taylor and Jason Caceres. Tonight we have Jason on. He's going to give us a little bit of uh, metabolic uh, myth busting, talking about metabolism. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the studio, and Royal's going to let us go. Jason, here's Jason on our Friday fitness minute. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about metabolism because it seems to be, uh, there seems to be a lot of misinformation out there about it, and everyone's always wondering, well, how do I know if I have a fast metabolism? How do I know if I have a slow metabolism? Is what I eat affecting it? Does my weight affect it? Does my age affect it? So what are all these myths behind metabolism, and how does it differ for everybody? 
basically, uh, when it comes to metabolism, there are four major factors that affect it, uh, and they are your resting metabolic rate, your thermal effect of food, thermal effect of activity, and non-exercise activity thermogenesis. I know they sound like big, scary words, but it's actually pretty, pretty simple when you break it down. So your resting metabolic rate, which is the first one we're going to talk about, refers to the total number of calories that your body's burning when it's completely at rest. So you're doing absolutely nothing. You're laying in bed, you're sitting down, you're not moving, you're not eating, you're just existing in this space. You're just living. And that includes functions like breathing, circulating blood, any functions that your organs need to survive. So your liver going through its process, your stomach digesting, your intestines working, and just basic neurological functions too, like thinking is one of them. So some people have very high resting uh, metabolisms, while other people struggle with low resting metabolisms, and that's more uh, genetically based. There's nothing really you can do to affect the basal metabolic rate. There are little tweaks you can make, and we'll get into those uh, in a little bit. So high resting metabolic rates, for example, could be due to high levels of lean body mass. So the more muscle you have, the more calories you're actually burning by just sitting there doing nothing um, because your muscles actually require more calories to work um, as opposed to large amounts of body fat. A high production of thyroid hormones, which is, this is something we have absolutely no control over. For example, low thyroid production, hypothyroidism, uh, can lead to lower metabolism. And that's something that you sh if you think you do suffer from that, that I would immediately suggest medical attention from your doctor and they, they have medication that they can help to prescribe and other procedures. So the resting metabolic rate is actually directly proportional, as I said, to your lean body mass, and it decreases approximately 0 0.01 calories per minute for each 1% of body uh, fat that you gain. So it's scientifically proven that the more body fat or the more muscle you gain or lose does affect your metabolism. So yeah, some people have naturally high metabolisms, but that can be you can work towards achieving a higher metabolism so that you can just lose weight by just sitting there and doing nothing. But you have to actively work out to build those muscles. And then your body will continue burning fat throughout the day. It also declines with age. So we see a 2 and 3% decline in metabolisms for men and women per decade. So every 10 years, your metabolism does slow down. But it's very, very, it's very little which is why it's important to continue to eat right and exercise the older you get because you can combat that. And it's so minuscule that it, it, you barely see the difference if you are maintaining an active lifestyle. That's why it's important to keep moving. So according to uh, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, the thermal effect of food, or TEF for short, is the increase in energy expenditure after you eat. So it accounts for energy required to digest food in order to prepare for further energy extraction in the body. And that's approximately 10% of your daily energy expenditure. It's uh, accounted by for the process of consuming, digesting, and utilizing food. So essentially, while you're eating, you are also burning calories, which is why we have um, food that's negative calories, such as uh, celery, 
um, and other vegetables, carrots are very a very good example. They actually require more calories to just chew, digest, and process than they're actually worth. So you can fill up on on celery, slab on a, a bit of peanut butter, some sort of other protein, and you'll get that full feeling without the extra calories because you already burned them while you were eating them. And that's the thermal effect of food. Now, the thermal effect of activity, which is the third uh, factor that goes into metabolism, is exactly what the name states. It's exercise that leads to an increase in energy usage and metabolism. So spontaneous physical activity, planned, sustained exercise, like going to the gym or going for a hike or anything that you actively plan. Like, I'm going to work out for the next 30 minutes to an hour. That is what's called the thermal effect of activity. And that can account to 15 to 30% of your daily energy expenditure. So that's where you burn 15 to 30% of the calories that you consume. The last one is called NEAT for short, and it's non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And that's energy that you're using when you're not even thinking about it. So things that you would have to do for your job normally, like typing, uh, walking, uh, pacing back and forth, it all contributes to raising your metabolism and burning calories. That's why it's actually recommended that you disconnect, uh, turn off your phone, turn off your laptop, anything, or take your phone with you, and walk around for 10 minutes every two hours. So that keeps your metabolism moving. It keeps your body working actively to use the stored energy. It's, it's an easy way to just keep your body burning those calories and working throughout the day. And it's, it's simple things, such as like taking the stairs instead of the elevator, and there you go, you, you jump-started your metabolism. Walking, if you can, instead of driving or taking a bicycle or parking a little bit further away than you normally would uh, to get those extra steps in, it's not just about, you know, how many calories you're burning. or It's also about keeping your metabolism awake because that, that can lead to a number of other health benefits. And those are just some quick and simple ways to help um, jumpstart this infamous metabolism that everyone is always so concerned with. So I hope I illuminated a little bit about this uh, kind of mystical metabolism that we're always hearing about. Thank you again for having me. Uh, my name is Jason Caceres. It is spelled uh, exactly the same across all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, the famous TikTok that everybody is on now. I spend way too much time on TikTok. I should probably just, like, delete that app and never open it again because it, it, it is consuming two to three hours of my life per day at least, and that's on a minimum. Uh, so it's just Jason S. and then Caceres, C-A-C-E-R-E-S. And thank you again for having me. All right, Jason. Thanks so much for our Friday Fitness Minute. Guys, you got to check him out on TikTok. It's hilarious. Even funnier is Jason's brother and mom on TikTok. His mom is just thinks she's a little internet star. It's hilarious. So I'll have to put the link to that sometime. Well, very good. I hope you guys enjoyed that fitness minute, learned a little bit about how metabolism works. I learned something. And let's go ahead and get ready for our next guest. We're going to have live in just a couple minutes, Clay and Chris Rice Thompson on. But first, we're going to play a little song by our buddy Stefan Alexander. This is Photograph. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. I fell in love with a photo. Head 
rubber heels for a face I'll never know Squeaky clean in a bathrobe Just a hint of the skin that hides below I can't help it, I'm already, already Daydreaming this fantasy, fantasy Repeating but nobody's stripping for me All I got are these eyes looking out of my screen Alexander with Photograph. It's a New York kind of night tonight. Stefan's in New York. We had a great interview about two Mondays ago. You might want to check out the Left and Straight Show archives and check out my interview with him on a great music Monday. Guys, I'm so excited to have my next guest on the show. You know that I'm a huge Broadway fan. They've been on my radar for a long time, but they've been one of my favorite Broadway couples since their engagement video went viral a couple years ago with a huge flash mob they put together. And they've been in projects together like the National Tour of West Side Story. 
and separately in things from Newsies to King Kong, Book of Mormon, to, of course, a little show you might have heard of called Hamilton. They know their way around a little YouTube realness in videos, which is a good thing since we found out this week that Broadway's officially shut down for the rest of the year. And we need a little bit of sunshine from these two because their million-dollar smiles keep us going year-round. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. and Mr. Chris and Clay Rice-Thompson. Welcome, boys. How are we doing? Yay. Oh, thank you so much for that, Scott. We are good. It is so good to have you on here, and you are very welcome. I'm so excited to have you guys on, especially tonight. It's appropriate with Disney Plus's Hamilton. We'll go into that with you in a bit, Chris. So big night for you. I am a little bummed that I did not get my cupcake in the mail today. I will say that. (laughs) It's okay. They are delicious, I will say. (laughs) Uh, They look pretty damn good, and it got me a booking. I'm going to have the boys on from the bakery on in a couple weeks, so that's a good thing. Oh, we love them. They're the sweetest guys. They did our wedding cakes, and we got to do a little Instagram live this week to make some Hamilton treats. It was a lot of fun. It looked like it was a blast. Very, very cool. Well, guys, I'm so excited to have you on. How have you guys been holding up? We've had a weird couple of months here. I mean, just married last November, and hello, everything shuts down. Good thing we got a honeymoon off there. How are you guys doing? Right. I mean, thankfully, we went on a honeymoon right away. We actually kind of talked back and forth uh, for a while about taking a honeymoon later, but I'm so, so glad we did it right away. Yeah, we really lucked out with the timing of it all. We got to have a dream wedding and a dream honeymoon, and we were just having a conversation a few moments ago that, gosh, we know like five or six couples who have had to either postpone or, you know, just really shift their wedding plans in 2020. So we lucked out getting married last year. So we're very lucky. Right. Well, very cool on that. Yeah, my buddy that did the fitness segment before we came on here, Jason, him and his fiance are getting married in December in Florida, and that seems like a long way away, but the way these things keep going in cycles, who knows what's going to happen. Little, yeah, right. little hope everything works out for them. That's got to be stressful for them. So hopefully it hopefully goes off without a hitch. There you go. Let's start with a little background, guys. It's your first time on the show. Clay, why don't you let me know where did you uh, grow up and what kind of a kid were you? Yeah, so I grew up in Rochester, New York. Uh, so it's about like seven hours drive outside of the city, um, uh, outside of New York City, I should say. Um, and I, I started as a gymnast and then got into musical theater, doing community theater shows um, in probably in like elementary school, and then really started dancing in high school. Um, I did the national tour of Oliver when I was 12, um, and then started dancing after that. But that's how I got started. Very cool. And Chris, what about you, buddy? I grew up in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is a little suburb of Oklahoma City. And uh, I was always involved in the arts. My older sister took ballet classes. And so my mom used to drive me to like wait in the lobby with her during the classes. And I started peeking in through the windows and eventually started taking classes there myself. And then went into kids theater and community theater like Clay. And uh, I fell in love with musical theater um, at a young age. And when I saw the national tour of Beauty and the Beast in my hometown, uh, when I was, I think, 13, um, that's when I first realized that you could do what we do as a profession and not just for fun, like after school. So from that day forward, I knew I wanted to work as a Broadway actor. And both Clay and I have been so lucky because we, we've got to check that off the list. And that gets to be, we get to call that you know, our profession. And that's 
not a lot of people get to say that. So we really, you know, try to, you know, I don't know, just embrace that every time we think about it, how lucky we are to do, get to do that. There you go. Well, not everyone has your guys' talent, boys. That's for damn sure. And we just oh. <laughs> finished up with Pride Month last month. Let's talk about that. Tell me about when did you first come out to yourself, and when did you kind of first find your LGBTQ tribe? Play. Yeah. So I, I was out to like a couple friends in high school, but I didn't really come out and like to my family and to everybody until college. Uh, I mean, it was my freshman year of college, um, and I had a boyfriend, and I came home. It was like Thanksgiving break or Christmas break, um, and I just talked to my parents and my sister, and I come from a very, very loving and accepting family. So when I came out to them, they were like, yeah, we know. (laughs) So (laughs) it wasn't too much of a surprise. Um, But, yeah, then really in college, when once I embraced, myself uh, like all of all the the right people came came out it was really great nice chris what about yourself well my story is a little different i come from a really conservative area and a um traditional uh background i guess i should say with like people with people have specific beliefs about what marriage should or shouldn't be and um i had a lot of um probably unintentional, you know, uh, negativity thrown towards the gay community and my everyday life. And I didn't come out till after college. Um, I knew I was, I knew I liked guys when I was 14 and it took me 10 years to come out. I, um, after college, I left right away on the road with West Side Story. And that's where Clay and I met in the auditions. And then we were roommates on the road and that's where, you know, we just first fell in love and all the sparks flew. And because of Clay, I, really took the time to come to terms with everything and uh, take the leap to tell my family. You know, it was honestly because I had found so much joy and was finally feeling more like myself than I ever had. And I wanted to share that with my family. It didn't go over well, but um, thankfully time has helped, you know, heal those wounds for my family and help them come around quite a bit, which has been great. And uh, they're still working on it. But I, regarding the tribe, one of my friends said to me, like shortly after I moved to New York, one of my New York friends, he said, you know, that your family is not necessarily just biological. It can be the family you choose, and the family you choose can be just as important. And I think he was speaking from a history where he always didn't have support, uh, my friend. But it right. is amazing. Now looking back, my chosen family means just as much to me as my family, and they've helped me get through every day. So, you know, we're lucky to have that support. And it's amazing that as gay people, we're kind of into or like uh, when we come out, we are part of a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a family um, of the LGBTQ family. So that's a blessing because if you don't have the support from your family life at home, it's good to have that family. Very well said. I love that. And let's talk about gaining that confidence and gaining that support. Cause I know doing my research, you guys both had, were not given the most confidence in your career starting out. I think I read clay where you weren't, in any of your high school musicals and they said that you really needed to work pretty hard. And I think Chris, the same kind of for you, you couldn't get into the schools you wanted to get into and kind of felt a little bit like an outcast. Where did you start to build up your confidence in yourself in your performing side? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, when I didn't get into shows at my high school, I 
really turned to dance and my I found my dance family uh very mm. very very supportive so that was really helpful to have them um but yeah I went to college uh for my freshman year and at the end of my freshman year was put on dance probation because I wasn't a good enough dancer um and so I it, I was pretty discouraged by that but then when I went to New York shortly after that and auditioned for stuff before coming back for my sophomore year, I ended up not coming back for my sophomore year because I booked a job that was really heavy in dance. So that kind of mm. gave me like a, a nice little like confidence boost that I, I did have what it took, uh, even though my school told me that I didn't. So that, I mean, booking, booking the West Side Story Tour was a definite pat on the back of you got this keep going um and it just goes to show that you have to take everything with a grain of salt and especially when you're a young person who's in a either a sport or a field where you are or a specialty where you're putting yourself on the line for other people to judge and get feedback from other people i mean even if people are trying to help you if if you stop every time someone says you know you're not good enough like if you could see clay dance you would laugh at those people because clay is so phenomenal and the fact that he was put on dance probation and then booked, he actually booked two national tours that year. Uh, he chose West Side Story out of the two. And if you're going to be in college for musical theater and put on dance probation, it means you're really not working hard. And that's just, that's what someone would say. But when you see Clay dance, you know, he, he's such a hard worker. He always gives 110%. And, oh, thank you. You know, it, it really worked out for him. So just a pat on the back for my husband. <laughs> it's so amazing. And um, he deserves everything. He's, you know, he's all the accolades and all the jobs he's booked, but he's also worked hard for them. So, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I got, guess for me, I when I auditioned for colleges, um, I was pretty adamant about studying musical theater in high school. And all the my friends mm-hmm. that studied at my musical theater program all got big scholarships to big schools. And I didn't get in anywhere for musical theater. And I auditioned like at 13 schools. And that, I was Mr. Musical Theater, so to me, I was heartbroken. But I eventually went to a school for drama and transferred into the musical theater program a year later. And even then, I uh, teachers that did not believe in me and said that I, you know, lacked the vocal ability or I lacked the capability to pick up dance steps well enough. And kind of same same story as Clay in some ways. It was my first audition in New York was the West Side Story Tour. And, you know, we booked that. And then these teachers now, they claim me as their own. And I'm on the posters for the program. You know, it's it's uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm glad I did not. I'm glad I did not stop whenever they, you know, they voiced their negative negative opinions. I'm really glad I kept going. Well, that's really the reason I brought that up because I, I have lots of friends, like I said, in the theater community and everything. And you guys are known as two of the nicest guys there, positive attitudes all the time. And I think that's really important, not only just in life, but in getting good gigs and things like that and knowing that you're easy to work with and stuff. Have, how do you keep that positive attitude? How do you guys build yourself and build each other up in a really relatively tough business? It, yeah, it definitely is a tough business, but, and we have been up for the same jobs uh, multiple times, but it, it's never, thankfully I, with the two of us, it's never about like, Oh, I hope I get the gig over you, or I hope you get the gig over me. It's like we're just rooting for each other, we're, because at the end of the day, everybody in the room is talented. So it's like if both of us are in in there, we know that we're both good enough to get the job. So if the job is yours this time, that's great, and that's 
it's your job to get. It's not, it wasn't mine this time. So it's, right. we are very, very lucky to have the support system that each other, we give to each other um, because we, yeah. oh no. No, as I, as I start to cut them off. No, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, in life, Clay and I both have a really similar outlook with staying positive and, you know, looking for the best in every situation. Of course, we're both humans, but we, you know, at the end of the day, we want to have a happy, successful, um, and joy-filled life. And with the business being as difficult as it tends to be, we just chose early on to just look at things uh, with a positive outlook and, as Clay said, be cheerleaders for each other and be be cheerleaders for our friends and everyone else in the business because, you know, someone's success is success for everyone. You know, it's a, it's a hard cutthroat business, but if you can look at that as a challenge to stay positive and to uplift those around you, it uh, presents a lot of opportunity for, for joy and to celebrate with other people when they succeed. And that's, uh, that's great because that's a lesson that can go beyond. And that's an outlook that can go beyond just the business of musical theater. Look at the world now. There's, uh, you know, as you said, Broadway's on hold for a little bit and a lot of people are going through big life changes. And if you can, support each other through those changes, then you can do anything, especially in the business. There you go. Very well said. Well, let's kind of dive into the relationship a little bit first, then I want to get into the careers again. Talk about, I mean, you met back in 2011, the West Side Story Tour. Who was the first person to ask the other person officially out? I mean, you guys are roommates, so you probably were going out to meals and stuff and just hanging out on tour. When was the first date, and who asked whom? Well, I guess, I mean, I'll start. This is Clay speaking. So (laughs) I messaged Chris on Facebook because the company manager of the tour messaged or emailed everybody and said, if you want a roommate, it cuts your cost of living in half. So before the rehearsals had even started, I messaged Chris on Facebook and I was like, hi, do you want to be roommates? And he messaged, he messaged me back and he was like, let's wait until we get into rehearsals. Like, I didn't want to room with a crazy person. <laughs> so we didn't end up being roommates at like, uh, the first city, yeah, yeah, the first, no, the first city we were roommates, but right away we were like let's just hold off for a second then by the time we were in rehearsals we were like okay we're getting along um and so we started as roommates (laughs) and then i asked him out on november 11th 2011 um so that was our our very first like official uh anniversary and yeah so then we got and then we actually got married on 11 11 so it was one convenient to keep the same dating and marrying marriage anniversary. Um, right. It was special that it was eleven eleven. Oh. I mean, you can't make a better that wish is... on eleven 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 than to find the love of your life. So oh. I, I looked out in that department. Yeah, I think you both did. I think you both uh, kind of leveled up there. Very, very cool. Um, <laughs> oh. And talk about this. Let's go into the proposal. So now we're talking, what, maybe seven years later, the proposal happens. Chris, you choreographed this yourself um, based on Jeff Lewis's song that I mentioned, which I love. Talk about the planning that went into this. Okay, so I knew that I wanted to do a flash mob proposal from the day that Clay and I, years before Anna, had been watching YouTube videos. And we were watching different proposals and all the flash mobs got us so emotional. So I was like, I'm going to do that if I ever propose or whenever I propose. So cut to six and a half years after we started dating, 
Clay was away for the spring doing a gig in Chicago, and I was traveling there to visit, and he would travel back on his days off. Um, but I used that time he was away to plan this flash mob proposal. So the song is actually from a Disney Channel original movie called The Descendants, which is like all the villains from the Disney movies, their kids. There's this cute song in there that I heard, and I was like, this is perfect for a proposal if I just change a couple lyrics. So um, I changed a few lyrics and had my friend – my friend Carl, who's a musician in New York, I had him record um, or create a music track that I would lay my voice over to sing along to. I choreographed the dance with some of my friends. I got all, a lot of our friends involved, even Clay's mom and dad. And uh, we had a rehearsal. Clay got back to town. We had a big rehearsal that morning when Clay thought I was in an acting class. Was in an acting class. I was like, I'm busy this morning. I have to go to take a class on acting. We'll. Uh, We'll talk afterwards. And then afterwards, we went to go to Central Park to take a picture, take a set of pictures with our photographer friend. He was like, I'd love to shoot a gay couple to, like, expand my portfolio. And this was all something <laughs> I had arranged. And then we walked through Central Park, and the music started playing. All the dancers came out. And, and I knew right away. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as the music started, I was like, I know exactly what you're doing. I was so <laughs> mad because he told me later that he – had a feeling on the walk to Central Park because I wasn't holding his hand, and usually because every time every time we go anywhere, whatever hand that my phone is in, or if I have my wallet in my hand, he makes me like switch what hand is free so that it's available to hold his hand, and he didn't do Aww. it on the way there, so I knew he was nervous. Uh, <laughs> my hands were cold. I was so nervous. So I, uh, not that you were gonna say no, but it was just a big life event, you know. And yeah, but eventually it went out more or less without a hitch and it was extremely special. And of course, cause I'm the stagey guy that I am, I hired four videographers to capture the whole thing. So we could <laughs> share it with our family members and our friends that weren't there. It was, it's so great to have that footage because more or less, like I went through it all, but I like blacked out. I don't really remember much of it. So the fact that I had his reaction forever, you know, immortalized on tape has been so <laughs> great that I can show our kids someday, you know, that's a really special moment to get to share. It was amazing. I'm the same way. I go down a rabbit hole of these flash mob proposals, just ball my eyes out. I was good at that. Yeah. Clay, you were, that was my next question to you because you looked like you either knew ahead of time because most people just bust down sobbing and you were rocking to the beat and singing along to it <laughs> and you were smiling the entire time. It's like, well, this is just kind of weird. So he knows something's going on. Right. But then as soon as I yeah. saw your parents walk out, I think you kind of broke a bit. And that's when you kind yes, of went, I okay, this is real now, right? I definitely did. Yes. Well, I had I had like a small feeling the morning of that, like something was up because we knew that we were doing or I knew that we were doing like a photo shoot in time or in Central Park. And so I thought that we were going to be walking through Central Park and like a tree lined street and he was going to get down on one knee and fully to like the moment of like walking through the park. That's what I thought was going to happen. And then it, okay. we would get to like at one location and it didn't happen. And then we got to the second location and it didn't happen. And then the third location, it didn't happen. So I was like, okay, maybe it's all in my head. I, whatever, <laughs> we're just going for a photo shoot. So we're like on our way to the third location. And then I hear music start. He pulls my arm and like stands me up on the little bench. And then I see all of our friends. And so I knew right away, I was like, I, because, I mean, and we had never talked about him proposing with a flash mob. We just always watched those videos happen and always right. bawled our eyes out just on the couch together. 
So when I saw him as recently as the night before, the night before we were watching YouTube videos, and he didn't—he was like casually watching it like on his phone at the same time. No, I took a video and I was like, he has no idea that's like tomorrow at this time we're going to be engaged. <laughs> I love but that. I, when that he is... pulled me up and the music started playing and I saw him dancing with our friends, I knew I. I was like, there's no reason that you have planned a full dance number if it's not for <laughs> a proposal. I mean, it it was just like, it was so perfect. And it was so cool that all, it was probably 30, 35 people, and all of them were our friends that we have either danced with in shows that we've done, whether it be on Broadway or professionally. And, and then my parents came out. Oh, gosh, I was just like, I was so happy. It was perfect. Right. Yeah. That's when I kind of saw you change a bit. That's what I knew. It was like, okay, yeah. now he knows this is real. Very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, and I, I did, it was nice to like, know it wasn't a, him being nervous wasn't whether I was going to say yes or not, but it was just that he wanted it to go off without a hitch. But I was the whole time I was like, I know exactly what you're doing. I know I'm going to say yes. So I'm just going <laughs> to jam and enjoy this performance that you've done for me. I was obsessed. Yeah, I thought you were going to cry. The whole time I was, I was like, Clay, she's going to be a weepy mess. No, and I was jamming. It was a fun song. But your reaction was even more sincere than tears. It was just like joy. And as you said, he was just rocking out and uh, able to enjoy that bizarre special moment. You know? <laughs> exactly. Now, absolutely fantastic. And we'll move on to the wedding now. I need to know why Palm Springs. It's Palm Springs it has a special thing to me this week i was actually supposed to leave sunday um for i take my show to palm springs for four weeks of live shows every year so i was going to leave sunday oh, to go to jealous. palm springs to do four weeks of live shows there but with covid going crazy i cannot do it now but what made you choose palm springs as your outlet and it was absolutely beautiful there we did a concert in palm springs so we like we've talked about we've met doing west side story and we, on the uh, Leonard Bernstein's 100th, what would have been his 100th birthday, there were a bunch of different concerts and celebrations for Leonard Bernstein. So one of them was in Palm Springs, and we went there, and gosh, the airport is outside, so you land, and walking, through the, walking out of the airport, you're just looking at palm trees and mountains, and we spent the week there and just fell in love with it. And Isn't that's kind of yeah. like, right. We were deciding when we were deciding where to get married, we were like, okay, if we get married in New York city, it's well, going to well, be first. We chose our, to get married on our dating anniversary. Oh, right, right, right. So our wedding would be in November. And at that point we were like, if we get married anywhere in New York in November, it's going to be cold. Yeah. If it's outside, it's going to be cold. If it's in New York city, it's going to be expensive. So we were like, if no matter where it is, whether it's for either of our families or our friends in New York, it's going to be a destination somewhere because wherever it is, right. I'm from New York, he's from Oklahoma, our friends are in New York City. So everybody, somebody was going to have to travel. So we were like, we might as well make it a destination for everybody that everybody would want to go to. And gosh, every, every person at our wedding was like, can you guys do like a yearly anniversary trip that we can tag along on? <laughs> so Palm Springs is is where it's at. And for any of you listeners that have not gone to Palm Springs, you got to check it out. Like it's perfect weather. It only rains, it rains three to four days a year. It's like desert weather, but it's beautiful. And uh, there's beautiful cliffs, like mountains along downtown Palm Springs. Uh, people are so kind. The buildings are nice and like cool and retro. It's 
definitely worth checking out. So just if you're looking for a future you know, vac- vacay spot, check out Palm Springs. Yeah. Or if you want to retire there, that's probably where we'll be. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's our plan. There you go. It's very, very gay, very friendly, very beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the pictures were amazing. I love the wedding video that you guys shared. The colored smoke was beautiful. You guys looked amazing. The sparklers were a great ending for the evening. The car. Talk about who pulled all that together. Did you guys do this yourself? or? Well, more or less, we did it on our own we did end up uh since as you know we're not from there we did end up hiring a uh someone who works there locally as an event coordinator and she helped us um with this i would say we did the majority of the planning but she helped us with what steps needed to be taken to make sure the day would go off without a hitch and yeah we came i mean we came to her saying that this is where we're getting married this is we had a photographer a dj a videographer videographer so there were a lot of things that we already knew when we uh, originally got with her but she did she, help us up she with, helped us a lot with all of the things that were local that we couldn't figure out from New York. Like video so like nice. oh, sorry, like florists and things like that. Yes, yeah, sorry if you hear people are doing fireworks outside and it is if you hear big boom. If you hear that at all. Uh, we're not tapped in there we go. <laughs> we can hear that but that's okay. I, I like it. It's fourth of July weekend so that yeah, is fine. <laughs> well very yeah, cool. Was, like I said lot, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, a lot of it was just watching, you know, YouTube videos or looking for weddings on Pinterest and Palm Springs and getting ideas. Like, we saw a wedding party uh, with a really cool old car, so we investigated those, and it, it was a big collaboration between Clay and I of things we thought would make a really fun experience for us as well as all of our guests since they were traveling all the way there. We really wanted to make sure that they had a great time. Fantastic. And then you guys had kind of made a pledge to each other after the big flash mob thing that nothing else was going to happen, but uh, Clay, uh, you're a sneaky yeah. little son of a gun. You are a yes, sneaky I son am. of a gun, Mr. Clay. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of decided, since we're performers, that we didn't want to have any live performances at the wedding. Uh, we were like, we don't want to have the stress of either us performing or friends performing. We didn't want it to be a performance. So we were like, no live performances. And we were like dead set on it. More, honestly, more me than Chris. Um, and then... I, well, first of all, I had to fight him because I really wanted a violinist and a cellist or a bass player. I wanted some kind of strings at our wedding. And I had to fight him on it. And he was like, no live performances. And I was like, it's classy. We're going to do it. And little did I know he had something else in mind. Oh, yeah. So I, I had sent like a YouTube link to each uh, kind of like group of our friends. And so I had like our wedding party start out the flash mob. And then I had our like performer friends add in on the, on the second verse. And then I taught every single person that came to the wedding joined in on the final like verse and chorus at our reception. Oh my gosh. It was, it was epic. And if you haven't seen it, it's, on YouTube, Chris's reaction is priceless. And then I joined in at the very end because I guess the whole time he thought that one of the guys in our wedding party, who's also a Broadway performer, uh, right. he thought that he choreographed it and put it all together. But then at the last, the last chorus, I got up and showed off my moves. <laughs> and that's where we saw the crying. Chris brought the crying. 
Clay didn't yep. breathe, but I saw a couple of tears <laughs> Unlike there. Unlike Clay at my proposal, I was I was a teary <laughs> mess. <Yeah. laughs> well, it was absolutely beautiful, and we're going to talk about your YouTube channel at the end for everyone to go check it out because these videos are amazing, and you guys should be oh, proud. Well done, not only of a beautiful relationship, but a beautiful documentation of it. That's something that's going to live a oh, lifetime. So good job on you guys. <laughs> Thank very, you. Very, very cool. Well, let's go ahead and get into performing now for a bit. We'll finish this up. Um, talk about your different shows. Clay, we'll start with you. Newsies is my all-time yeah. addiction. I don't know why. Um, Spot Conlon. Uh, just the entire – I'm just obsessed with Jeremy Jordan and the entire cast there, actually. The dancing is amazing. <laughs> um, talk about that show. Yeah, so I – it was my Broadway debut. I made – I started the show when I was 19 – um, and it was a dream. It was a dream come true. I mean, doing West Side Story before that was so cool because, I mean, seeing West Side Story, seeing all so many guys dancing on stage, you don't normally see that. Um, and so right. seeing that was really, really uh, just ingrained in my head of how cool that was with so many guys dancing. And then to be a part of the show was so cool. And then to do Newsies where it was another just guys dancing and dancing with crazy technique. Um, it was so cool to be a part of it and to make my brother debut doing it. Uh, it was, it was really special. I bet. And that was dancing, man. I mean, it won for choreography for the Tony, but it was just, you guys are dancing your little butts off on that. It's, it's an amazing yeah. show. Yes, we were. Everything about it. It was hard. It was, it was definitely a lot of a lot of rehearsal and a lot of practice, but it was it was intense. Very very cool. Matilda's not my bag. You can brag on it if you want, but I kind of like the whole King Kong thing, a concept musical. Talk about uh, talk about those a bit. Yeah, I mean when they started King Kong in Australia, gosh, like ten fifteen years ago. Oh. Like 10. Yeah. So it was like 10 years ago when they did Aust uh, King Kong in Australia. And we saw videos of it on YouTube and on Broadway World kind of things. And we were just in awe of the puppetry. And then, so when we found out that it was coming to New York, we were like, oh gosh, we have to see this. We, like, no matter what, we, no matter how long it runs, we have to be sure to see this in person. Um, so then to get to work on the show was so cool. I started the show as a swing that, so I covered all of the ensemble tracks that didn't touch the puppet. And then because the monkey was a giant two story puppet, like a marionette, it was huge <laughs> animatronic. Right. It was amazing. Right. <laughs> so I started covering all the people that didn't touch Kong. And then about six months into the run, one of the guys booked a different show and left and they offered me the opportunity to replace him and so I got to be Kong's back right foot and his right elbow. Um, so there were nice. different like forms of puppetry that I got to learn. And it was so cool, something that I've never, I mean, I had never done it and will likely never do again, that kind of puppetry. So it was really, really cool to be a part of. That is awesome. And those of you that are listening live on Blog Talk right now, you can see pictures of Clay next to that big old monkey because it's big you see you yes, sitting down is. there in the corner there there is definitely yeah. some scale involved 
And Chris, Book of there, Mormon, there another was, one of my favorites oh, on there. Talk about that experience for you. Okay, sorry. Which show you said was your favorite? Mormon, okay. Mormon, Clay's telling me it was Book of Mormon. So Book of Mormon, gosh, also it was my Broadway debut, similar to Clay with Newsies. And um, the show had – I mean, it swept the Tony Awards like two years prior. So I joined shortly before the two-year anniversary, and um, the two leads had were different, but almost every single other person in the cast was from the original cast that I had seen, uh, you know, two times prior uh, to joining the show. And I was so starstruck, and it was – it was such a miraculous experience in many ways. It was my first Broadway show in New York. It was getting to work with these people I had seen on television and, and really uh, on the Tony Awards, you know, and, and I got to see in person. It was really special. And I, what's also cool is um, a lot of shows run about a year on Broadway. Some run less. Book of Mormon has been running now for, gosh, almost 10 years. And um, right. I stayed with the show for four and a half years. So I got to be with multiple casts as they, people rotated through. I stayed, I know, for quite a while. And with the show, I got to kind of grow up with the show and find my footing in New York throughout, you know, throughout my time with Mormon, working with so many incredible actors as well as with, you know, Matt and Trey from South Park who wrote the show and Casey Nicola who, you know, won a Tony Award for the direction. It was truly spectacular. I, I got to learn so much from those amazing artists who came before me and then as well as the artists who joined in when I was already there, it was just a really special time. And if you haven't seen the show, that's uh, if you get a chance to, it's a lot of fun. Just don't bring your grandma and maybe don't bring your kids. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Trey Parker is not made for grandma. That is for sure. Uh, <laughs> then, exactly. Let's kind of move into pretty woman because uh, so many of my favorite gays have been in that show. I got to tell you that I follow on Instagram all the time. I love Brian Adams for music. Orpha is amazing. Talk about that show. Okay, the show is filled with some of the most talented people in the business and also some of the kindest. It was the sweetest, most sincere cast that I've ever been able to, you know, uh, join the ranks of. It uh, was based off the movie, clearly, with, uh, you know, with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And so it's iconic. And what's great is our script writer from, for the show also, you know, co-wrote the, the film. So every moment that you got to see in the film that you loved, you would see on stage as, as well as some new fun ones. Um, and it was fun because certain nights people would shout out the lines from the audience. And it was just a great time from start to finish. <laughs> and I joined for the the last chunk of the run. So I joined in May and, uh, we closed last August. So I did the summer on Broadway. It was a nice little summer gig and got to work with some amazing people that uh, really made for one of the most memorable summers of my life. Nice. And we'll finish off with Hamilton, of course, premiering tonight on Disney plus you get to do the tour for that. Um, Such an iconic show already in its short time on theater, but it's going to be another one of those that run past book of Mormon. Probably talk about that experience. I mean, it is not very common for someone to get to say they get to be a part of two, you know, kind of mega musicals. And like Clay, he worked on Wicked for a while, and that's definitely one of those shows that's going to stand the test of time and be around for a long time. And for me to get to say I did Book of Mormon, which is more or less a household name, and then get to say I'm a part of Hamilton is just, I mean, my grandma knows what it is. My grandma doesn't even know what really theater is, you know. So <laughs> it's it's super exciting. What they do is, they, if you're not super familiar, they tell a story of the founding founding fathers through um, a new lens using a lot of rap and R&B music and it told with a really diverse cast of people that uh, 
usually like with African Americans and other people that don't always get to claim ownership over that part of history because the history books that you know we have in our country you know kind of focus on the work of the founding fathers but it was I mean the country was a diverse country from the beginning and getting to have right. those artists you know get to claim this story as their own has been really special to witness as well as you know help further the story with audiences all across the nation. And it's awesome because now it's accessible and people that couldn't, maybe couldn't travel to New York or travel to the cities that had the show um, playing in their towns, uh, or maybe they couldn't afford the price of tickets. Now they can see it in their living room. And that's just a really big step forward for accessibility for all different people. And I'm really excited to see a whole new generation of artists that are inspired by the work that Lin-Manuel Miranda did and um, can now see Hamilton in their home. There you go. Well, you two are amazing in everything you do. Let's talk about Broadway for just a second. Because of the shutdown now, we thought it might come back in Labor Day. Then we knew it was kind of looking towards the first of the year. and It's been confirmed this week. Talk about what you guys are hearing, how we're going to keep. I mean, thank God for the Actors Fund and so many great streamings going on right now and Absolutely. different things like that. Talk about the industry where you see it happening for the rest of the year. I mean, it's a, it's kind of like COVID. It's just it's just been unpredictable a lot of the ways. In some ways, the patterns have you know made sense with the direction we're heading. And sometimes it kind of takes a right or left turn and catches you off guard. I think we both have been talking about how we, you know, we're, we're thankful to have been as quote unquote successful or had a chance to be to, to be working Broadway actors as long as we have. And it's definitely a new, a new chapter and, a, and this, they say it's just intermission because we're coming back for act two but it is a time of uh this time is filled with ups and downs because the, the future of our business is uncertain at the moment we, we are confident and we'll come back but the more people can wear a mask and help you know curb this uh this this rise of covid the better the quicker we'll get back to work so if you support the arts i encourage encourage you to listen to scientists and keep a mask on your face so we can just uh, get back to theaters and get back to entertaining you and bringing you in-person entertainment, you know, sooner rather than later. Well said. Clay, do you want to add anything? No, that, I mean, I'm just echoing exactly what he just said. <laughs> right. We, we definitely missed the Yeah, we I'm very well said. It. And I'm kind of hoping, I mean, when we see uh, Disney, then I don't know, have any idea what kind of deals they're doing for this. But for me, I've been a Broadway HD subscriber forever because I am a huge Broadway fan. Everything has been filmed at one point or another. At least they have some great filming of some shows. I would love to see them start showing those more regularly on things and maybe giving um, some royalties to the artists that were originally and so they can get them off the streaming for it. Because there's a lot of models that we're learning that haven't really – I mean, we're learning new models every day on what to do for – streaming and things like that. And I think we really need to find a way to support Broadway artists such as yourselves and others. And I think with Broadway HD and with the Disney plus and all these platforms popping up, we need to honor Broadway and find a way to give back even more. So I would hope. I, I mean, that's spot on. We, I think we as artists, you know, we would love and appreciate that. And as well as all the people that work behind the scenes to design the sets and, you know, arrange the music and, work with the costumes and the lights. There's just so many people that work really hard to create one evening of theater for an audience. And if there could be a way that could bring the audience, uh, you know, in, uh, bring the show to the audience in their living room, I think that's a wonderful thing. And especially if it could not be like a one-time 
small check to the artist, but if it could be a, you know, ongoing, as you said, residuals, that would be a wonderful way to, you know, keep feeding right. back into the uh, industry and the cultivation of new artists would be really great. Exactly. Like I said, I don't know what the deal is with Hamilton, but I wish they would start with something like that. Disney has the money to back it up since they own everything in the entertainment business right now. <laughs> so hopefully other people would learn from it. Talk about what you guys did. I mean, you're killing it on your YouTube channel. Um, I love the COVID um, mashup of Broadway songs that you did, Chris. Absolutely hilarious <laughs> and fun. Thank you. What are your guys' plans to do to keep yourselves active and learning and growing? I'm sure you're still doing self-tapes and everything, but how are you keeping the creative juices flowing during this time? Yeah, we're both teaching a lot on, on Zoom and on other platforms uh, which has been really nice, not only to kind of flex the muscle of dancing, but we take classes. We've been picking up, like picking up choreography each week, which has been very helpful. But teaching and getting to just encourage the the students that we've been teaching that we do think that Broadway is going to come back. And I know that as much as we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel right now, it's it is encouraging to to see the faces of like of excitement when we get to teach uh and when and our exciting faces when we get to teach um just to dance and do it in our homes for now is is encouraging yeah i think seeing the next generation of performers is as clay said it's encouraging because we know that there is a broadway uh there's a broadway future ahead and these students are going to be ready right. for it and that is that just puts a smile on our face and helps us feel more secure about the future as well. There you go. Well, send me links for your classes and I will shout them out there. I mean, I had Mark Evans and Justin Mortaliti on last week. We talked oh, about what yeah. they're doing. So uh, be sure to let me know and I will shout it out over my social media as well. Cause thank I think you. That, well, thank you. that's just some great things. And I think it's something the kids need, especially in summer too, when they can't go out, it's great that they have these zoom capabilities and things that happen. So good on you for doing that guys. We're running out of time. So I appreciate, I can have you guys back. I have two more pages of questions. Cause I love you guys so much. Yeah. Let everyone know where they can find you on social media and uh, the YouTube channel. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, so um, my Instagram is Clay Rice Thompson. So that's C L A Y R I C E T H O M S O N. And then my. There's no P. Catch yeah, There's no, no P. P's. Not Thompson. Thompson. Um, and then <laughs> my Twitter is just Clay Thompson without Rice. I just haven't switched to yet. I don't know why I haven't, but that's just Clay Thompson. Um, you can catch <laughs> whatever I'm up to on Twitter, um, on Instagram, and TikTok. I'm the TikToker of the family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at Chris Rice, like the food, Chris Rice, NY, like New York. And that's where you can catch up with us, or um, we can contact and connect with us online. It's a great way to keep up to date with what we're doing and say, hey. There you go. Guys, absolute pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, stay on the line for me. We're going to play out here Will a little do. song in just a second. When we come back, we're going to have artist Daryl Thorne from New York on, keeping our New York state of mind. I should have a Billy Joel schedule, but I don't. All right, guys, <laughs> stand in line for me. We'll be back in you just bet. a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
Welcome back, my friends. That was our buddy Tommy Atkins with Wild in the Wind. If you missed my interview with Tommy, he's a fantastic country singer-songwriter from the U.K. You can go to the Left Straight Show archive and listen to that interview. I'm so excited about my next guest. He's making his first appearance on the Left of Straight Show. He's a New York-based multidisciplinary artist and producer. He works in the areas of design, makeup, and performance art. He's created some amazing viral videos, and his TikTok alone in only five posts has garnered over 44,000 followers, 10 million views, and one and a quarter million likes. His performances have brought him from New York to Tokyo to Berlin, London to Mexico City, and he was even the opening act on RuPaul's Drag Race premiere tour. He just began his latest exhibit that opened last Friday. It was scheduled to run through July 12th at a pop-up studio space, but we've kind of had to change those plans a little bit. We're going to talk all about that. It's called Under Glass and In Color. I can't wait to talk about all this and more. Please welcome, for the very first time, Mr. Daryl Thorne. Daryl, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, you're in the middle of this massive piece of work that was happening in New York City. Kind of got derailed a little bit, have a great opening last week. So we're going to talk all about that. But first of all, you're in the epicenter of New York City. How you been holding up these past couple months? Just been crazy time putting the show together, or how are you doing? Yeah, well, um, the show kind of came along more recently i mean that's that's been a focus pretty much over the past month so um you know certainly it's been it's it's been pretty intense here i mean it's feeling much better now obviously like things there's a certain feeling of um i mean certainly there's no such thing as a return to normal i don't think and but but there right. is life on the streets in a different way um but yeah i actually I haven't gotten the antibody test yet, but I'm pretty sure that I, I actually had the virus like very early in the beginning, like in the beginning of March. Um, mm. So, and uh, you know, it, uh, luckily I did not have like some of the extreme, you know, I was never hospitalized. I didn't have any of that, but certainly I, w- I was pretty sick for a few weeks. Um, so that took up a good chunk of time. And then, you know, then there's just a, a chunk of time, being in your apartment and going through all of that, which, which had its, its ups and downs, of course. Um, but right. then when this project came along, uh, that was a really, that was like a, a very exciting and unexpected. It was really a gift and a super exciting ability to, to just be able to pour myself into, into work for, for a change. So that was great. I bet. And well, it's we'll still talk going. all about the project in a little bit. I always like to start out since your first time on the show a little bit of background. 
Tell me about where okay. you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? Well, I grew up in super rural America. Um, we moved around a lot, uh, but I lived in Missouri, Arkansas, and Alaska. And in tiny little towns, um, I'm the youngest of five brothers and uh, in, grew up in a very kind of extremely conservative, religious, fundamental family. Um, and in like tiny little towns, uh, five years of that was in Red Devil, Alaska, which is like, isn't even a town really. It's pretty much a settlement <laughs> on the, on the uh, Kuskokwim River, which is like, 400 miles north of Anchorage, and we lived there without, you know, no running water, no electricity. My father ran a trap line. We ate the animals that he caught. My mom made clothes out of them. It was like basically going back in time 100 years, and that was my first wow. five years. And then it got a little more, a little more civilized after that. But uh, <laughs> it was a very rural country, American Christian uh, sort of a background, and. Goodness gracious. There I was. What kind of a kid were you doing all that? <laughs> what kind how, how of you, kid? How, I mean, how did you adapt? Were you quiet? Were you loud? Were you the were you the class clown of the five? Or were you the baby so everything was all about you? <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I don't know. With, with I think with kind of being a, you know, a gay kid with without even a vocabulary or, or an understanding of, of what that was in that mm. environment. Um, I think I, I pretty much withdrew and, and was quite, um, I mean, I, by the time I got into junior high and high school, I kind of discovered art and drawing. And I, that was like a great retreat for me. I kind of spent a lot of time just drawing in my bedroom for hours and, and doing creative things uh, kind of to myself, um, which, gotcha. you know, it's actually, uh, it, it's, I'm actually a very social person. So I would have been, you know, if, if things were different, probably I would have been much more social and much more outgoing. But I think as a kind of reaction to being gay in an environment where that wasn't even an option, um, I kind of withdrew a lot and, but in that, I kind of discovered creativity and found your art. I love that. And talk about that. When were you able to verbalize? When did you first come out to yourself? And when did you first kind of find your tribe? Where were you where you found your community of LGBTQ people? Well, when I first came out was when I was 21 living in Chicago. Um, and and I mean, that's a whole story of its own. I didn't, I came out, I was actually at the time I was still going to a independent missionary Baptist church, which I was raised in. And I, I signed myself up for Exodus International and I did the whole ex-gay thing. And I had a Christian counselor and I was like going a very, you know, essentially I was like trying to fix what I saw as, as like a, a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. you know, that's a whole chapter, but but, you know, interestingly, through that experience, I really, I really realized, like, the flaws in that thinking, and I, I kind of came to shifting my perspective um, on, you know, being gay and that being a large part of my identity and et cetera. And in Chicago, that's when I actually discovered dance. I started training in dance, and I went to the Art Institute of Chicago for one year. Um, so certainly that was, was like a 
a time of, of discovering like, oh, wow, I'm around artists and dancers and, of course, lots of gay people and all types of people from all over the world. Um, so just living in Chicago, also, you know, working in theater, being in the dance community, um, going to the Art Institute, all of those things opened up, uh, you know, a whole new world of all kinds of discoveries and possibilities. So um, I, I would say that. Yeah. Nice. What brought you to New York? How did you end up getting to New York? So New York, I spent a few years in Chicago, then I went to L.A. for a few years. And I, you know, uh, I came to New York actually 17 years ago. Um, and the only thing that brought me was just just New York. I, I had no plans or anything, but I had visited for one weekend. Actually, when I was still living in Chicago, I, I came up for a weekend. It was the first time I'd ever been here. And I took, I remember I visited a friend who lived in Spanish Harlem. I took the subway from the airport by myself. I was very proud of that. And I remember <laughs> coming out of the subway in Harlem and just immediately, I mean, it was like, it was love at first sight in the most like visceral way. I was just like, this is amazing. And I spent two days in the city and by the, by the, that Sunday, I had the New York Times. I had the one ads. I was like, I'm living here. This is where I'm meant to be. Um, and then it took me a detour of three years in L.A. And then uh, ultimately, I ended up here 17 years ago. So, um, Wow. Yeah, I love and, that, though. Kind of like a Mary Tyler Moore moment. Throw your hat in the air when you get out of the subway. That's yeah, very cool. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Very nice. Well, let's talk about your artistic journey and different things. You've done so many great, amazing work. Did you start out just drawing? When did you kind of go to the makeup and creating images from yourself and then kind of go to the mask and the headpieces? How was your evolution to you? Was it a slow pace? Were you always doing all of it at once? No. Um, I'd say it's, I'd say like kind of everything in my life, it's just kind of, unfolded one step at a time with with no plan and no sense of <laughs> honestly like no idea where it was, anything was leading but um as i said when i was when i was younger in high school that's when i kind of discovered fine art and drawing and i, I got really into drawing i did pencil portraits that i became kind of obsessive about it and i did kind of photorealism I, I got pretty good at it and I loved I just loved drawing faces I drew models I drew Claudia Schiffer and Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell and you know just I, I don't know I just loved drawing and it's funny because my dad years later he was like oh you're trying to trick me with all those ladies he he thought that I was like <laughs> some kind of super horny straight guy who just was obsessed with women but of course only a gay man is that obsessed with with women <laughs> right um, right <laughs> anyway uh, i mean it is some there's something interesting about that i had a at one point i had a uh, i drew a giant picture of linda evangelista on my closet doors which is kind of profound in a way uh, but uh the Art Institute of Chicago i went there for one year i discovered the performance art department and that kind of took me in another direction. I was thinking of performance art and I really loved that. And then I dropped out because I couldn't afford it. And then I discovered dance and um, that I was like, oh, this is it. I had never danced. I started dancing when I was 21 and I, I completely dove into the dance world. And I really, I, I trained and studied pretty intensely for like four years. And ultimately that 
in, in LA, it was when I kind of took stock and I just realized it just wasn't working the way I, I wanted it to. I didn't have the natural, you know, some people can start dancing at 21 and, and they can do it, especially some men, but I just didn't have that natural turnout and facility and all those things that you need to, to really, um, gotcha. you know, explode into dance the way that I dreamed of. Uh, so I quit dancing. I was very kind of lost and depressed and I didn't know what was going on. And then I just decided I'll move to New York. And so that was kind of the next step came to New York. And once I was here, you know, there's so many theme parties and costume parties and theme nights. And so I was really just kind of for fun going to a club that had some theme and I would put something together. Um, and I was enjoying that, but, Prior to that, prior to New York, I had never done any makeup or costuming or fashion or anything like that. After being here for about a year, I met uh, an artist. This Derek Jackson was an artist who was living and working in the city at the time. And he kind of plucked me as his muse. And he started putting me in some costumes, some drag. We would do weird performance art things. Um, and it was great. I really loved it. I had never done drag before. I totally was into it. Um, and then he left the city, and when he left, I was like, oh, that was so fun. What am I going to do? Oh, I can just do it myself. And so that's exactly what happened. I just started at that point really with a with a drag lens, but it was never female impersonation. It was never like full drag. I was always with a hairy chest or topless. or So it was always some kind of gender fluid in between um, creature. And gotcha. after kind of running with that for a minute, then it, I was walking on Sixth Avenue and there were these vertical blinds. They were, they were like aluminum vertical blinds that someone had thrown on the street and they were shiny and I picked them up and they bent well. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take these home. I took them home. I wanted to make a wig. I was like, oh, I'll make a metal wig. And so I started chopping up these things and twisting them and just molding them. And that's essentially what became my first headpiece. And, uh, and here I am today. And that was, I don't know. That was probably, let's say, 14 years ago was the first time I actually made like a, an actual headpiece. And and then it just kind of, I don't know. There was something about headpieces that that just spoke to me, and I've I've been making them ever since. Um, well, and doing them quite well, my friend. I mean, you've had everyone Thank you. from the winner of Drag Race to being uh, featured in new operas, and that's just kind of an amazing feat in and of itself. You've worked with so many great people. Talk about any experience that really stood out to you. Any experience that really stood out to me? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, actually, something that I did recently, like – well, I guess it wasn't that recent. I guess it was last summer. <laughs> but I worked with a friend, um, a friend of mine who is a music therapist, and she did a program at um, one of the lib public libraries in New Jersey. And it was kind of around, I think it actually was around Gay Pride, and it was around like youth empowerment. And so I brought a load of my headpieces over there. I brought a load of headpieces and... Um, these were young kids, I don't know, middle school, 12, 13, something like that. And basically we kind of let them get dressed up in some of my pieces. And then they did performances and sang songs and lip syncs. And it was just so beautiful. And so 
it was so moving. It was one of the more exciting um, times I've I've seen my work on someone because, you know, you anytime someone puts on a headpiece, something happens to them. They something happens. They just transform. They get they get a little wild. They right. go crazy. They feel fabulous. And seeing that, seeing the effect it had on these young kids was just super exciting, and it made me feel really good. And I was like, oh, I, I really want to do more of that kind of work. Um, so, yeah, but you know, that's amazing. I also I did, love that. Now, yeah, and like I said, you've had some high-profile people that you've worked with, either with your designs, your performances, Jennifer Hudson, Blondie, Madonna. Do you get starstruck with these people, or is it just a job, or? What what kind of experiences are those working with higher profile clients? I mean, I definitely like going to Madonna's house was, uh, you know, that was a that was a moment. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely was like, wow, this is happening. And I, you know, I remember as I'm driving there, and I was just my my whole nervous system was so stimulated, and like I was like, oh my god, and I'm like, why am I? why am I freaking out like this? It's just a person. It's just, you know, but of course it's, there's all, you know, it is just a person, but on the other hand, it's like the potential viewership of the piece and all of these things. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't know, but for the most part, I think, I feel like it's like many things. It's like the anticipation of something is always much greater than the the reality you know and then once you're in a room you're like okay i'm in the room i'm doing my work and that's it you know talk about your hindu deities for martha stewart what were those were those headpieces were those um art you were you created or what were those yeah that there was a full full costume so basically martha stewart was hosting the 25th anniversary of Iyengar Yoga, Iyengar Yoga Association of New York. And so it was uh, a fundraiser, I guess, kind of gala at her studios. And so I created five uh, Hindu deities, you know, essentially headpieces with mask elements. And then I I curated all these jewelry pieces from Beads of Paradise in New York. And then sarongs and body paint. So, you know, essentially looking at many images of these Hindu deities, and they're all so beautiful, beautifully illustrated, all these gorgeous paintings and all these incredible details that go into these deities. And and so essentially com- compiling those and then creating, you know, a physical representation of, of what those were. So that was a, it was a beautiful project. Kind Sounds of was, gorgeous. It was. It, it really was. It was exciting, and um, I think they raised a lot of money for the Yoga Association, and it was all great. Now, do you, for a lot of these projects, do you have the design in mind first and find the person that wants the design or that matches the design, or do you look at the person and they kind of inspire you to create a design? How does that work with your aesthetic? You know, it's it's different every time, honestly. I mean, there's different ways, you know, probably most, the majority of what I've created so far is for myself and my dancers to perform in. So, you know, oftentimes I'm just inspired to make a piece because of material that I find. If I find some driftwood or some weird 
metal objects on the street or something, and that will kind of inspire a whole piece. Um, sometimes I'm performing at events that have a specific theme, and I'll create based on that theme. Sometimes if I'm making custom pieces for people, they have very specific Sometimes people have very specific ideas for what they want. They want something mm-hmm. replicated, and for the most part, those projects I just I'll I'll pass over because it's not really what I do, and I don't I'm not particularly good at creating you know replicating someone else's work, and I I also just don't really want to. Um, so I've been right. really fortunate for the most part to find you know people who they see what I'm doing and they they're inspired by kind of my. I guess my vision and my aesthetic. And so they come to me and say, Oh, I want you to make something for me. And then I can sit down with the person and, and pull out from them, you know, what's your fantasy? What are your favorite colors? What, if you could turn into a creature, what do you want to be? What, what elements are you attracted to? All of those things. And then I can take all that information and put it in a pot and, um, you know, and then build something. So so yeah, there's many different ways it. to to get there. Yeah. Now talk about you've done quite a few editorials for some major magazines, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Paper. How did those things come about? Um, for as far as those designs, do they give you an overall look they want, or how do those um, editorials come out? Yeah, different ways. I mean, usually the stylist will contact me and you know, they, they always have a specific, well, not always, but generally they'll have a pretty clear idea of what the story is, or if they're, they're shooting a celebrity, like they will have a a good sense of, you know, we're going for Hollywood glam or whatever. And based on that, then I can show them, you know, if some, sometimes they'll come to my studio and that's even easier and they can just look at everything hanging and they can just pull things off the wall or they'll, you know, I can send them photos of pieces that I would recommend. Um, but for the most part, I've actually, so far, I've never created anything new for an editorial because basically, you know, there's usually there's no pay in creating an editorial shoot. It's just you get something pulled and you get the, you know, a, a name, uh, a page card right, with credit. your name. Yeah. So right. that's okay. how that works. And the magazines, usually they have their editorial kind of content out months in advance anyway. So, yeah. They kind of know exactly what right. they want, I guess. I didn't think about that. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it just kind of also depends. I mean, I just shot um, big with Big Frida for Bus Magazine. And in that case, they kind of just said, you know, they had seen my work and they were like, okay, bring, just bring some fabulous shit. And, you know, <laughs> and so I just kind of told, you know, 10 things and um, based on, you know, her, her height and her general vibe and some of it, you know, when you pull a number of things, some of it is perfect and it works, and others they don't use, and it and it, it works out that way. And you talk about your studio. Do you have like I know you're out of Bushwick. Are you still out of Bushwick? Do you have like a big studio where how do you where do you keep all these things? You have so many amazing yeah. works. Is it a big space or what? What kind of a space it's, do you have? Well, until two years ago, it was just a room in my apartment, and uh, oh, no. so yeah. So two years ago, yeah. I mean, and that's how, you know, I had just always done that and it, it make, you make it work. But right. two years ago, I, I moved, I got a studio at Rubelod and Rubelod is an art collective that has been around in New York for 25 years. And it's, it's, it's truly like one of the last truly underground art scenes 
that I that I know of in New York. But they have a space here in Bushwick, and it happens to be just like a ten minute walk from my apartment, so that's great. And I started with a with a, a regular, you know, one of their kind of regular sized studios for the first year, and then the person behind me moved out, so I knocked down the wall and and took that over. So now I have it. You know, it's, it's definitely a decent sized space. I mean, it's still it's it's still everything is quite uh, organized to, to fit. But the other great <laughs> thing about Rubelad is they have a, a pretty decent sized main room where there's a stage they have performances and they have events there and so they've allowed me to hang a lot of my pieces around um as kind of decoration in the main room so it's 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 kind of a win-win because you know then they get like decor elements and i get storage and and it's great it's a really nice um relationship there and that that place is wonderful there's probably 10 or 12 artists who have studios and so it's it's like a community it's it's nice that's fantastic. I love that. And then are any of those places public so people come look, or is that just for you guys to workspace? No, no, Rubelot is public, and there's events. You know, I was throwing I was throwing events there, um, but they always do. I mean, it's, of course, where nothing's happening at the moment, um, but it's an unlisted space. But if you, you know, if you, you can follow them on Instagram, Rubelot, R-U-B-U-L-A-D, and what, whenever – events start happening again then they will post you know parties and things as they happen and essentially you oh, are SVP um and to get the address that way oh that's amazing i love that very cool yeah northeast ohio we have nothing like that as you can imagine so i kind of love it <laughs> very, very cool. all right well let's talk about this current show um like i said it was supposed to be a kind of um not immersive experience because they're in there with you, but uh, under glass, literally, you guys had a pop-up space that you were planning on being in through July 12th. You had a big opening on Juneteenth. Talk about the original design and concept for it and how it kind of all went a little kaplooey. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the uh, I, I applied for the program. It was a, there was a grant from National Endowment for the Arts coupled with Shashama, which is the space, which is the organization in New York that provides gallery space and also studio space for artists um, at either reduced rates or free, depending. I think mostly there's a charge, but it's like much less than it would be if you were paying for the, for the real estate regularly. So they sponsored this program called Enlivening New York and they have four different four different locations throughout the city. Um, and so I applied and, and I got the space on 55 Avenue A, which is in the East Village on the corner of Avenue A and 4th Street. And basically, essentially, they wanted live performances um, that people could view from the street. And they were quite open-ended in terms of what I could do. Uh, the only re- real requirement was that there was a certain number of hours. You had to be in the space between 15 to 30 hours per week. And anything that you did had to be family-friendly because, of course, children and that passing by and all of that. So I decided to take the opportunity because it's a very large space. It was a former bank lobby. Um, and it's a, it's a big space right there on the corner of 4th and A. And, it's you know, it's a really high traffic area. I was, it's a super exciting opportunity. So I just decided to create a whole a whole world basically 
and essentially right. got a U-Haul and loaded up pretty much my entire collection um, and moved it over to the space and painted all the walls and did brought in all kinds of lighting elements and um, uh, and basically created a, a, a real environment that passing by you it kind of is like you're looking into an aquarium or some magical garden or uh, it's very colorful <laughs> and so the idea was or my original plan was that I would be performing once I got that installation set I would just be performing as often as I could um, for the duration of, of the show and I was intending to bring in probably bring in other dancers and transform them as well and then have them do shows um, but ultimately what happened is I had um, the opening on last Friday and there were complaints from some of the residents of the building um, because I guess people were concerned that there were there were people weren't social distancing and there were people were smoking right. cigarettes and I don't know you know things but actually the the police actually came and they surveyed the situation they handed a, a couple masks to people who weren't wearing masks and then they left so the police were fine with it but. Uh, That's nice. People yeah. who lived in that, yeah. So at any rate, uh, it was certainly c- quite a disappointment. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm very grateful to have the space, and ultimately, the space is downstairs in someone's home. So, you know, I have to kind of honor what what their requests are and all of that. So, um, so for the for the next two weeks, the Technically or potentially, the exhibit will end on July 7th. It's a little bit, uh, it's not 100% sure, but I I believe the 7th will be the end date. Um, and until okay. then, of course, the everything is is viewable through the windows. And you, if you pass by in the evening, it's really great. But when it's dark outside, all the colors really pop, and you can see the complete um, space very easily. Um, and I plan to live stream a few sessions of I honestly don't know exactly what yet but some either a combination of performance or I may I'm actually potentially going to interview a couple other performers while I do transformations on them Um, I could also potentially do some kind of tutorial or just talk about my process or something so uh, not exactly sure because this change just kind of came about. And so I'm, um, right. I'm looking to, you know, make the most of the space and, and also have it be seen by as many people as, as I can. Um, and, uh, I'll certainly be making videos in there that I'll be posting on, uh, you know, on my social media accounts and, um, yeah. And then I did get some, some encouraging news from Chashama, which is there they were you know very happy with the exhibit, and so they have offered me as another storage i guess kind of a studio storage space on twenty third street so I can keep the collection and then when they have another space available that opens up with a storefront um I'll just plug it in there, so it will very likely have a second a life or an extension so that's that's exciting. That's amazing. Congratulations. I love that. 
And like you said, people can yeah. still go by and see it. There's just not going to be oh, absolutely. taking the time with you inside because they don't want to gather too many people around. So, And I can understand right. that I, a little I, bit. But that was the ultimate social distancing, at least, though, you behind the glass. I mean, it's good for you, at least. I right. guess they just weren't paying attention to the outside public. But I can understand right. that a little bit, I guess. But I do want yeah. to talk about I me. Mean, I'm going through your Instagram, and your transformation people are amazing. Everyone from I saw you decorated this cute boy from the Pines for an, uh, for that years ago to uh-huh. different people. Uh-huh. You're amazing with uh, your paints and your makeups and everything. Talk about those processes. They have to take some time because these are head to toe designs I'm seeing on there. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It definitely, you know, I, when I do makeup on myself or I want to have three hours as, as like minimum, that's, that's my preferred amount of time. Um, But I love painting. I mean, if I have the time, I'll just, I'll paint for all day long and just be happy as I can be. Um, But, you know, it never really works out that way. There's always, you know, there's (laughs) always a performance. There's always a, a, photos something is there's always a schedule and so um you never get quite as much time as you want um right but when i do these these bigger group shows which you know happens often where i'll i'll perform myself and i'll have five or eight or 15 or 19 other dancers that are all getting painted and costumed then i bring in of course a whole team of people and um and I, I work with some amazing artists. Anastasia Durasova is this incredible makeup artist who does all kinds of high fat. She's incredible, but she's also become very good friends. And we just have a great time, you know, uh, putting these shows together. And she is one of these makeup artists who can just, she is so fast. It's incredible to me. Like she can, wow. she can paint four people in, you know, in, in a couple hours with no problem. It's an amazing. I've oh never my been that type of, of painter I'm very I'm kind of painstakingly slow and meticulous and it's all it's very meditative and um, I certainly enjoy I enjoy taking the time but you usually there's you have to kind of make sacrifices and and say you know okay I'm going to cut this short and honestly that's right. not my best quality it's, it's a little tough <laughs> for me to cut corners I like it well, and like I said, scrolling to your Instagram, I want to know who the real Daryl is. I mean, you, you're you a very handsome yeah. man. I've seen you. But you can transform you. yourself through either your paint or your makeup. Um, I've seen you, like I said, the picture with uh, the pines. You're very much college kid. I've seen you in your cowboy getup from Dallas. You look like one of the home in the range <laughs> there. Who is the real Daryl? If we came and just popped over unannounced, who would we find Daryl being? Oh, it's very much looks like just a boring dude from Missouri. I mean, that's, that's what I look <laughs> like most of the time. Just, you know, it's really funny when, you know, I have seen there will be people that I've performed with for years in nightlife, years and years and years. And if, if I see them outside of, of paint and costume, they will have no idea who I am. That's happened so many times. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the contrast is, and I, I often, I want to create, like, have this artist persona and some hip, you know, kind of casual look, and I always say that, but ultimately all of my effort and all of my time and all of my money really goes into 
my my performance and my costumes in that kind of world. And then what's left over is just like jeans and a t-shirt and shoes. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of, that's usually what it is. Um, I yeah. understand that. So it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's a big, like me off, people get a, a certain impression of when they see me perform. You know, when I'm all done up, very, it's a lot. It's very grand and it's very <laughs> over the top. And um, and then, yeah, but I don't know. I'm not, uh, when I'm just myself, I'm very domestic and very, I don't know. I mean, I like to have fun and laugh and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, it's quite a contrast, I'd say. I like it. That's great. I want to talk about, we'll go into TikTok. Where did these mirror designs come from? I think they're absolutely amazing. You've been doing them for a couple of years. When did you first start experimenting with that? Because it's just a concept and an amazing just appearance that just comes from it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm loving the mirrors as well. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of know where I'll go from there because it's, it's so strong and it's so effective that I just, right. I keep doing it. Um, and originally the mirrors I was using cut mirror I you know I use a lot of small mirror pieces in a lot of my designs as as just design elements so there'll be I don't know all kinds of different shapes and it you know it's a reflective surface so mirrors on right. on stage all the light hitting it is incredible so I was working a lot with small pieces as design elements of you know to to embellish headpieces and it, at some point it just kind of occurred to me it clicked like oh you can hold this up to your face and it will reflect your face and then uh the idea of of essentially making three a three-headed deity um that was kind of the first step so two you know mirrors on either side and it gives that great three-headed effect which is so symbolic and has so many there's such a history in in mythology and different religions of this three-headed deity or character and i and it's also just visually it's just amazing looking so i that and then at some point i i don't even i honestly don't remember how, when that kind of struck, heard to me that, oh, if I put one down the middle of my face, then I can have this illusion of two two separate things. And that that illusion is, is probably the, I don't know, I think it's the most successful, exciting thing that I've come up with, um, is it's just so effective. It really, it really is two separate people on at once. It's just, it's so great. Right. And it's so... And it speaks to, you know, my love of transformation and duality and uh, all these things. And I'm a Gemini, and, you know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the mirrors have continued to, to have a life. And they it works so well on video. And I have a couple – I've created a couple new videos, which I'm kind of hanging on to and trying <laughs> – we're, we're actually trying to use them to get – a little bit of um, more promotion for my current show, um, but I'm excited to get those out in the world uh, at some point soon. Fantastic. Well, it's just, 
it is an amazing look, and I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And and ten million views. I mean, it's the proof is at the pudding, my friend. I think people just are mesmerized by them uh, from the look. So congratulations yeah. on that. Hey, I mean, it's it's too bad about the space that you can't actually be inside the space. But I think you are so creative that these videos, everything you come up with, are going to be an amazing kind of addendum to that having that space out there. What do you see in the future after this? Do you have any? future plans right now? I know everything's been such lockdown, um, but do you have any goals of anything over the next six months you're hoping to do? I'm definitely focusing on video and online, uh, you know, the online world. I mean, obviously that's, that's where it's at and that's where it's going to, it's where it's going to be for a while. Um, do more of that. And that's why I finally joined TikTok, you know, a, a few weeks ago. And I have to say that Apparently TikTok is my platform because I I'm just kind of like wow I can't quite believe how you have blown up the hell up quickly <laughs> blown up over there so I definitely want to you know keep pushing that um, but interestingly I started writing this year I took a, a writing workshop at NYU um, in the winter and that's something I had wanted to do for a long time and I really am loving it and. So for me, the next step, I don't know whether it's in the next six months, but, but possibly is combining my voice with my visual. So until, until now, I've essentially been uh, kind of a mute visual presence, and you know, that kind of speaks for itself and does all of these things. Um, right. But I'm, I'm interested in kind of telling my story and kind of autobiographical moments mixed somehow with with the visuals that I'm creating and so I'm I'm really excited about that it feels like it feels like the evolution of of what I'm doing so that's that's going to be a focus that's amazing congratulations I would love to see um, photograph pictures of your design plus it'd be nice to be a full circle moment to go you back to your drawing again and do some drawing right, illustrations right. for whatever book you write that'd be kind of a great full circle moment I love that Right. Great idea. Congratulations. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, Daryl Thorne. Thanks for being on the Left of Straight show today. It's been my pleasure. Let all my listeners know where they can find your work, uh, either website or social media, and especially TikTok, where they can find you. Okay. So it's all my name. So my website is DarylThorne.com, and that is spelled D-A-R-R-E-L-L. T-H-O-R-N-E dot com. My Instagram is at Thorndaryl, spelled the same, but at Thorndaryl. And then my TikTok, (laughs) as I'm quickly pulling up TikTok, I think it's just, I think it's just Daryl Thorne on TikTok. But I'm going to tell you. That's where I found it. Oh, no, it's Thorne Daryl. Oh, no, it's at Daryl Thorne. <laughs> yeah, so at Daryl Thorne on TikTok as well. Yeah, I'm also on Facebook as Daryl Thorne, and I'm trying to build a YouTube. I have basically four followers on my YouTube channel. I want to figure out how to make that how to make that happen, um, but I haven't really worked that out yet. Well, you but got at least it's, a it's fifth after Thorne this also. show. I'll definitely be following you, my friend. I, I appreciate everything you do. <laughs> You're an amazing artist. I mean, from the Out 100 Thanks, back man. in 2015, I think you're good, you're bound for another top 100 in 2020, my friend. Great work. 
Thank you so much. All right, well, stay on the line for me, Daryl. Guys, we're going to play a little song here, and I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Just a steel town girl on a Saturday night Looking for the fight of a life In a real-time world, no one sees her at all They all say she's crazy Locking rhythms to the beat of her heart Changing movement into the light She is dancing to the danger zone When the dancer becomes a dance you can cut you like a knife If a gift becomes a fire On a wire between will and what will be She's a maniac, maniac on the floor And she's dancing like she never danced before She's a maniac
All right, you guys, we are back, and that just about does us for tonight. Thanks so much for all my guests tonight. Jason Caceres for his Friday Fitness Minute, telling us about that metabolic rate and metabolism and how that works. Thank you for sharing that with all the listeners. Clay and Chris Rice-Thompson, amazing Broadway super couple. So much fun to talk to them tonight. Be sure to follow them on social media, watch their wedding videos and the proposal video, and look them up for classes. And Daryl Thorne, amazing artist. Thank you so much for telling your story. Guys, it was a great night tonight. Thanks so much. Thanks. I appreciate my uh, interns in the booth there. Thank you to Royal and to Zoe. Great job making everything run smooth this evening. Guys, please follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Left of Straight. It's the Left of Straight show on Facebook and Scott Fullerton on Facebook. You can public profile. You can send me a friend request. And follow the interns. The interns are at Left of Straight Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page themselves. Guys, next week, a whole bunch of great shows. I was planning on being on the road, as you know, for our uh, Palm Springs, so a lot of pre-taped interviews next week. I have about a dozen of them saved up here for you. A lot of great music people next week. We're going to have, um, oh, gosh, Ben Hazelwood from Australia. We're going to have Rachel Sage from New York, Unsung Lily from California. Uh, Who else? Oh, Joey Suarez is going to be calling in. Then I have a great interview with uh, actor and dancer Richard Biglia. Comedian Tyler Mead will be on. Magician Justin Willman will be on. Uh, Patrick Hines, which is a fantastic podcaster who does a true crime podcast and has about three and a half million a month downloads on there. Bianca Turner, an amazing artist coming on. And Britt East will be on the show along with uh, Matt Kai from an actor and app creator out of um, Canada. And we're going to have our good friends Terry Ray and Mel England on to talk about electricity being um, streaming coming soon. So huge shows next week. Be on the lookout for that. Have a great and safe 4th of July weekend. Be careful with COVID out there. Stay close to family and friends. And I appreciate you tuning in all week. We'll be here Monday through Friday next week, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Again, my name's Scott. Have a great night. Bye-bye.